0: The first reading is taken from Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 to 28. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your ancestors, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. The word of the Lord thanks be to God
1: Today's second reading is from Romans chapter six verses one to fourteen. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Father, we ask for your power to live up to the vows we've made in our baptisms. For anyone baptized into Christ has died to sin, to Satan into the evil powers of this world and is born again to eternal life. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The baptism is quite a dramatic portrayal of what's being conveyed and that is new life in Jesus Christ. Ideally we would have this big pool here or a big tank full of water to fully submerge a grown adult. That would be so much more poignant to what's being conveyed and honestly would be so much more fun for everyone. In any case, baptisms have been done in that way for hundreds and hundreds of years, even before Christianity in some practices of Judaism. Now the word baptism, as you probably would know, is means immersion and obviously into water. But what is being conveyed? What's being conveyed when someone is immersed into water? In the name of the Trinity. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, let's turn to Romans chapter 6. In our second reading that Valerie had read for us. In verse 3, we read, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? For Paul, above anything else, baptism is immersion into the death of Jesus. Above anything else, baptism is immersion into Jesus' death. Notice it's not into Jesus' birth, or into his life, or into his ministry. It's immediately into his death. We jump into his death in baptism. And Jesus' death was gruesome. It was violent. It was bloody. It was brutal. Baptism isn't just about Jesus' death, but it is first and foremost about the violence and the brutality that Jesus had suffered on the cross. I mean, that's one of the main things that make Christianity rather unpalatable. It is rather unappealing to begin that way. The violence and brutality and the bloody figure of Jesus on the cross. But then this is how the early Christians appealed first to the world, by the preaching, the teaching, the proclamation of a bloodied and crucified Savior. Christianity has been a religion so preoccupied with the details and the manner of its founder's death, it had amassed doctrines and rituals centered on suffering, on sacrifice, on death, consecrating and consuming food as though they were flesh and blood. And Christianity has and continues to be a force in the world to influence the world today where the brutality and violence of Jesus' death on the cross is front and center. That is a symbol of the faith, an empty cross, a symbol of torture and brutality in the ancient world. Now what does this have to do with baptism? You may have seen the classic and famous scene in the first Godfather film when Michael Corleone, played by Al Pacino, he stood as the Godfather to his baby nephew's baptism in a Roman Catholic church. Now, while the priest was asking Michael to renounce Satan and all his evil works, there was a series of murders that were being carried out under Michael's orders to get rid of the heads of the other mafia families. To secure his place to become the dawn of the crime syndicate. Now the juxtaposition of Michael vowing to renounce Satan and his works, while the brutal plans that he ordered they were being carried out, they it showed the absurd contradiction of that sacramental moment. It showed the ruthless and violent hypocrisy of a man who stood renouncing Satan at the font of Christian baptism. Now what was portrayed in that scene is that the renunciations and the affirmations, the vows we make in baptism, they have implications to the working out of life or death in the world, to the working out of good or evil in the world. The words we say, the water that touches our bodies, the name of God pronounced over us, These are not mere ritual or symbolic gestures, but they have ripple effects in our lives and everywhere else in the world around us. It's because baptism, as it is an immersion into the death of Jesus, it has its own kind of brutality. It has its own kind of violence, the kind that is rooted in the crucifixion of Jesus. It's the only kind of violence that directly confronts the original and most ancient violence that the world has ever experienced. It's the violence of sin. I mean, since that time in the garden, the violence of sin had grown into cosmic proportions to become this dominion of Satan and evil that continues to brutalize billions of lives in obvious and not so obvious ways, doing violence against our souls. Doing violence in relationships, violence in the structures of society and in the natural world around us. But then, another kind of violence entered our planet. A violence as invasive and alien as the first. And this was the violence of God that came down from heaven to wage war against evil, to overturn the dominion of sin, to disarm the sting of death, and to do violence against sin. in that final and fatal blow that crushed the head of the serpent was in the brutal and violent killing of Jesus on the Roman cross. In verse 10 of our Romans reading, Paul says, For the death that Jesus died, he died to sin, once and for all. Jesus' death was the most subversive event in history. By enduring the violence and brutality of sin on the cross until he died, Jesus unleashed the cosmic undoing of Satan's brutality, the reversal of sin's violence in the universe. That same cosmic undoing is spread out. That reversal is unleashed upon us, upon humanity, upon you and me as conveyed in the waters of baptism. Yes, baptism is about new births. It's about new life in Jesus as undeserved grace given to us from God. But before any birth could happen, before any miracle of resurrection, a divine sort of violence must be endured. A spiritual kind of death must be experienced. In verse 4 of Romans again, Paul says, We were buried, therefore, with Jesus by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The Oxford writer C.S. Lewis illustrated this in his novel, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, in his Narnia series. Now, Eustace was this character. He was this mean-spirited boy who was transported into the magical world of Narnia. At one point, Eustace stumbled into a cave filled with treasure, and he took a gold bracelet for himself and locked it into his arms, and finally he fell asleep in the cave. And then we had woken up, he had turned into a dragon, because he was unaware that the treasure was in fact a hoard of a dragon. And having like dragon-like desires and lusts for treasure and riches... He himself became a dragon. That was how the magic worked. Now one night, Aslan, the lion king of Narnia, who represents Jesus in the books, he visited Eustace in the cave. And then he led him to a pool of water. Aslan beckoned Eustace, who was still in his dragon form, he beckoned him to undress and bathe in the pool. Now Eustace clued in and he tried to claw off his dragon skin, but he was so desperate. There was always more dragon underneath, even as he tried to claw it off with his dragon um, tailons. But then Aslan said to Eustace, you will have to let me undress you. And so with his lion claws, Aslan tore deep into Eustace and then he recounted this harrowing but transformative experience. I was afraid of his claws, but I was pretty nearly desperate. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, but only a day hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so thicker and Darker and more knobby looking than the others had been. Then he caught hold of me and threw me into the water. Then I saw myself. I'd been turned into a boy again. While water baptism seems pretty harmless, new life in Jesus, that endures the divine scouring of the soul from the black mold of sin. It's the violent mutilation of the dragon-like parts. In ourselves, the brutal crucifixion of the beastly and satanic powers that yet oppress and influence our bodies, our souls, our affections, our consciences. In verse 6 of Romans, Paul says, We know that our old self was crucified, was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Before anyone could be born again with new life from God, there has to be violence done against sin in their body. There has to be destruction. There has to be brutality against the power and claim of Satan in their body and soul and mind and spirit. Just as a mother endures this special kind of violence in her own body in childbirth, as she brings new life into the world. So it is with the Christian life as dramatized in the baptism. And even so, the same Holy Spirit of God groans, groans in pangs of labor, as he births the perfect image of Jesus in every Christian person. The same Spirit broods over the waters yet of creation, the fallen, broken creation, for its final and full restoration. What then shall we do For us who are baptized, um, for those who call ourselves Christian, what are we to do? In verse 12, Paul exhorts us, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for for righteousness. As baptized Christians, every part and member of your body, they were emancipated from sin's tyranny. Every part and member of you was rescued from Satan's abuse. Now our bodies are instruments, as Paul says, or in other words, they're tools. I think of a hammer or a screwdriver or a saxophone or a guitar. They're used as their purpose to make music, to create, to build, to repair, to world build. Or else these same instruments or tools can be used as weapons to brutalize, to harm, to destroy, to aid and abet into the dominion of Satan and evil in the world. That latter part should not be so, should no longer be for those who have died to sin and Satan. In fact, God has purposed to transform the world by first transforming the person, the individual. Because what, what's a society that is socially reformed, systemically restructured and transformed and renewed, but the people who live in it are remaining unchanged. They remain under the ancient tyranny of sin and Satan. Yes, everyone is far better off in a just, fair, and conscientious society. We must thrive and use every part of ourselves for the transformation of society and to live conscientiously. It is integral. In fact, that's part of the baptismal vows that we will make today in the covenant. But without personal repentance, without personal purity and holiness, without personal faith and trust in Jesus... People remain under sins, tyranny, and power. Remain under the dominion of Satan. They remain under the shadow of death. Now today is the last Sunday of the Christian liturgical year. And today we commemorate the feast of the reign of Christ the King. Jesus' reign as King began... When he was on the cross, he climbed up to his throne on the cross and suffered the death and violence and brutality of sin until he died. But with him, when he had perished, he vanquished Satan, trampled death by death. And Jesus' reign continues in the world to undo Satan's work, to reverse sin's violence, starting in the lives of people starting in our own lives, in my life, in your life. We're called to faith and repentance, called to die to sin and to be raised up to new life in God. Let's therefore live, let's live physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally into our baptism. Fulfill our vows in God's name to propagate the glory and dominion of Jesus Christ throughout the world forever and ever. Amen.
0: You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.